Your word, O Lord, is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. First reading is from 1 Kings 17, 2-6, Elijah fed by ravens. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kirth ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kirith ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. The reading from the New Testament is from Matthew 6, 19 to 34. Treasures in heaven. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and th where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where the thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The, uh, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Do not worry. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in bargains, barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of us, of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, he will not, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you, ne that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. Lord, may your Lord, word live in us and bear much fruit to your glory. Thank you, Shirley. <clears throat> Let us pray. Holy Spirit, speak into our lives and minister to us this morning, we pray. Would it be your words we hear and your voice that speaks? And in what is spoken, may we find a sense of challenge. May we find a sense of knowing that you are ministering to lead us to greater faithfulness. 
In your precious name we pray. Amen. When it comes to sermons on giving, as ministers, you know you're behind the eight ball even before you start. Because as you start off the service, it, you straight away know you're into an uncomfortable territory, you're in an unfavorable position, uh, because giving is one of those topics that nobody really wants to talk about. Nobody ever wants to discuss the, uh, the theology of giving. You know, I'd often have people say to me, people give me suggestions for sermons, and they'll come to me and they'll shake my hand at the door or meet me in the office and they'll say, you know, Stuart, I would love to have a sermon series on the book of Revelation. Or could you do a series on, on the Holy Spirit or spiritual gift or, or maybe some hot button issue of the day? But in all my years of ministry, I have never had anyone come and say to me, I've never even ever overheard anyone say, you know what I'd love to hear? More sermons on giving. You just don't get it. That request doesn't often come about. And for good reason. For good reason. We've all seen TV preachers and, and their kind of slick brand of fundraising. And I'll just take an aside from the sermon to say this right now, that, that, I, that I honestly, I believe that there is no more evil misrepresentation of God than the prosperity gospel which is often propagated by such preachers. And the prosperity gospel is the idea that in order for God to heal you, you need to give money. You, the more you give, the more likely you are to be healed. The more you give, the more likely you are to be, to be blessed and, uh, and the richer you'll end up being. That's the prosperity gospel, a gospel of prosperity. And if somehow, if you are not prosperous, then well, you haven't given enough or you're not faithful enough and God, God is not looking down favorably on you. When I think of people like Mother Teresa who were, walked very closely with God and yet died with only a bucket and a sari to her name, you cannot tell me the prosperity gospel is something that is scriptural. It is, as I say, one of the most evil ways of trying to misrepresent God. That being said, we have all seen those preachers. They make news when they fly around in their own private jets that are bought with money from, from people who believed they were giving to a godly cause. Sadly, these preachers also leave an impression uh, in the wider community. So generally, people kind of just see a Christian and, and lump the church as one big uh, collective noun. The church is all universally the same, even though that we know that the Uniting Church and many other churches are not like uh, what is represented by those people. But others in the secular world, non-Christians, they see these things and it kind of feeds into a narrative that all the church is interested in is getting more money. It's this little subtle thread that is woven into the psyche of society. So when we do actually come to preach on giving, there's a small part of us, because we live in the society, a small part of us that might be tempted to say, oh, here we go again. We're hearing about money again. Another reason that it's a tough sermon to give or, and to listen to is because of the perception that the church should really only concern itself with spiritual matters. That the church should stay out of our finances. You know, 
all our lives, we guard our finances. We keep it secret. We don't show anyone what we earn. We don't tell people where we've invested the money and what kind of in, uh, return on that investment we are getting. We keep it sort of under our hats, what we spend the money on or how much we have. It's a, it's a private thing. So who's the church to tell me what to do with my money? It's none of the church's business. The church should stick to spiritual matters. And there's also a sense in which we can sometimes wonder at the value of, of the returns that we get when we, when we give to the church. Again, it's the subtle, deeply hidden element of society that, that every now and again gets highlighted by, you'll have to forgive my language here, by, by some moron who writes to the newspaper and says that the church is only interested in getting people's money. And somewhere a little voice inside us can say, you know, maybe he's right. I go to Woolworths and I give them money, but I get something for it. When I go to church and I give money, what do I get? Well, in reality, to have a beautiful place where we get to worship, where there are all sorts of events that help us grow in the most important relationship of our lives, to have a, a minister that's on call, to have a place where you can serve God and exercise your gifts, to have three services a week and funerals and weddings and counseling and fellowship and time together with brothers and sisters in Christ. Actually, from a worldly perspective, that's pretty good value and bang for your buck when you think about it. But the world doesn't see that. Society doesn't see that. And the impression that a secular population has is that the church is really just about taking, which isn't this case, and certainly not the case in this church. You may identify or feel with some of those thoughts or some of those emotions, maybe even deep down. You may not identify with them all. Some of them come from the context of society that we live and are a result of the things that we see, hear, and read. But today, I want us to look past those feelings and look squarely at a subject that is so deeply connected to our relationship with God that Jesus ended up speaking about it more than he spoke about anything else. As a matter of fact, over 2,000 verses of Scripture deal with money. 2,000 verses of scripture deal with money. By comparison, there's only 500 on prayer and there's less than 500 on faith. Almost 50% of the parables Jesus does teach on money. And this is an interesting statistic. One out of seven verses, one out of every seven verses in the New Testament deals with money or possessions or with giving. In fact, there's an old saying that says, the Bible talks about money matters because money matters. It matters in our relationship with God. It really does. There is no single entity that dominates our lives to such an extent as money does. Which is why Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart. We live our lives around money. We spend the majority of our life trying to make it. We spend a large portion worrying about it. We spend a significant time investing it and, and watching those investments and trying to get the most out of it. We sometimes even spend time thinking about what happens if we live longer than the amount of money we've accumulated actually allows. I read a great quote from a guy who said, I have enough money to last me the rest of my life as long as I die next Tuesday. 
<laughs> it is Jesus who says to us today, do not worry about this. Do not worry about this. Seek God's kingdom. Seek his kingdom. Get this giving thing right, and the world and its money-mad focus will not have dominion over my relationship with you. It will not have dominion over that relationship. And what a beautiful truth that is, and what a challenge it is for us as we prepare for the covenant service. It's a challenge we need to be willing to listen to and to take to heart, which is really what the sermon and the whole series is about. In our preparation for covenant service, we are looking at things that make up a faithful Christian life. When we say to God that we desire to be faithful, when we say that we want to grow in our Christian commitment and be the people who God created us to be, living the life God created us to live, what are we actually saying? What, is the, what do the nuts and bolts of that statement mean? What does it look like in our lives in this day and age? Well. It's about worship. It's about worshiping God and committing ourselves to this beautiful moment of honoring Him, giving to Him the praise and the priority that He deserves in our lives. Faithful Christianity is about prayer, the deep, inward, and beautiful communion with God that connects us to Him and grows, grows that intimate relationship. It's also about service, as we saw last week, where we use what God has given us to build His kingdom and uh, in, this, in this community. And it's about giving. It's about the discipline of giving and the practice through which we are able to bless and express our love for God in a tangible way. If you missed any of those sermons, they are recorded, they're available from the office, they will be on the website. We're one frustrating little step away from putting them online, but they will be there for you shortly. But if you need a copy, pick one up at the office. It'll be good uh, to get that. It's about worship, prayer, service, and giving. This process which we, which we keep track of, this timeless truth that says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And although it's not the most comfortable of topics to hear, to preach, it is something we have to be willing to challenge ourselves on. Just like we've challenged ourselves in these other areas of faithfulness. Someone once said to me that the mark of a, of a, great, the mark of a good sermon is that it comforts the afflicted and it afflicts the comfortable. And that's a very true statement. To be faithful is to be challenged. It's to come here on a Sunday morning knowing that God is going to challenge us to lives of greater faithfulness. To make our covenant is to be challenged. To honor God, to say, I am not my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Whatever I have, it is all for your honor. It's to be challenged. And that's how I want us to see the sermon this morning. To be sure, this church is not a prosperity gospel church, and nor do we ask for money at every turn. In fact, as I've said before, the church is the one place that doesn't ask you for money. You leave here this morning, head over to Coles, and just try and see if you can get out there without them asking you for money. They will ask you for money. Everywhere you go will ask you for money. If you have a look at your bank statement, you'll see they don't even ask. They just take. They just take. We live in a world where everyone asks for money, and I honestly think that, that the church is the one place that doesn't really. But I believe that we are if we are faithful in our giving, we shouldn't have to ask. 
because God has promised that he will be faithful. And nor do I believe that God needs our money. I think that the church has existed for 2,000 years and it will carry on existing whether we give or not, I promise you. God doesn't need our money, but we need to be people who give. We need to be people who give. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And our hearts, as we say in the covenant, are with God. I am not my own, but yours. As we look at our passages today, I believe that we are challenged in terms of three things in our giving. We're challenged in terms of our giving in three specific ways. And the first challenge is to understand that giving is a moment of grace. It is this beautiful moment of grace. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and the rest of these things will take their rightful place in your life. How beautiful is that? That the King of Kings desires our gifts. What a special and precious moment. You know, in my very first church, I was a young youth pastor, and I was leading an evening service, and there was a worship leader who had led the songs and was taking the congregation through the beginning part. And he ended one song and got to this point where he said, he finished playing the song on his guitar, and he went, oh, that was great. It's so terrible that I now have to ask you to dig into your purse and give us some money. But you know how it is. The lights have to be kept burning, so we'll just get this over with as quickly as we can. If you guys can just find a few cents and a few, little bit to just give, and, and then, we'll can, then we can carry on with our worship. Oh, I was furious. How dare it be cheapened to that? Giving is this grace. It is this moment of blessing God with the things that we have. It's this moment of saying to God, uh, what a privilege to honor you in this way. Right through the Old Testament, that's how it happened. First fruits, you can read even in the story of Cain and Abel. The whole conflict was around the fact that one didn't give a gift that was beautiful. Right through the Old Testament, we see this act of giving central to the worship of God. Sacrifices, first fruits of the harvest, unblemished lamb. In fact, the way we do services have shifted around from what it was in, in scriptural times. In the, scripture, in the scriptures, the main point of the service, the main part of the service wasn't the sermon, if there even was one. The main part was the offering. That was central to the worship of God. It was the offering. It was this moment of grace. The last time I spoke on giving, I mentioned the fact that, um, that even if you wanted to, you could never give the queen a birthday present. You can never give the queen any present at all. In fact, even if you were standing on the side behind the fences and, and you passed her a rose, she would take it from you and pass it on to one of the bodyguards very quickly. You cannot give her a gift. They take it away. You are not special enough. You are not rich enough. You are not wealthy enough or powerful enough to be honored with the privilege of giving her a gift. If you baked the queen a birthday cake for her birthday, it would be blown up by the bomb disposal unit. 
I hope it would be light and fluffy. You're not special enough. I'm not special enough. Royalty wouldn't take what we had to offer. So what a privilege it is that the king of kings says, I want to receive what you are offering. I want to receive this gift from you. What a beautiful moment of grace. What a privilege. I often think of it in terms of giving a present. I don't know about you, but for me, the joy of Christmas and lies far more in giving than receiving. Is that the same? You see the, 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 the beauty of joy lights up on a person's face when you've got just the right present for them. To show your kindness full another person's life is, is a wonderful thing. And when we think of all that God does for us, what a moment to be able to respond with the gift of our own. How beautiful it is to be able to, as Scripture says, bless God with our gifts. The issue of faithfulness isn't, our, um, isn't about the fact that we've got to give because the church needs money to keep the lights on. It is first and foremostly we give because we want to bless God. It is the grace of giving. But it's also a challenge in terms of the way we trust God to meet our needs. In my previous church, I served in the Methodist Church in South Africa. The different denominations were still all separate in South Africa, and I was in the Methodist Church and had ministered in this church in Durban where we had very beautiful gardens and grounds. Durban, much like Bundaberg, is a, um, a climate that's supposed to always be green, but um, we had these stunning grounds. And, and years and years before I came to the church, some minister had the foresight to develop this beautiful garden of remembrance. And it had lovely benches and special plants and cross and oh, it's just stunning. And we would scatter people's ashes in that garden, put a little plaque up in the church, and, and I don't know how many uh, people over a hundred odd years had been uh, buried in that garden of remembrance. Anyway, one day sitting in my office, I got this phone call, and this lady says to me, her name's Mrs. Smith, and she says, uh, Reverend Bosch, I'm heartbroken. I wonder if you can help me. Anyway, to cut a long story short, her beloved dog, Fufu, had died. It was the only living thing in her life, and everyone else had passed away. Now the animal was gone, and she had had it cremated at one of these pet services, and she had the ashes, and she was saying, Reverend Bosch, I wonder if you would do me a favor and have a funeral for my dog and put the ashes in the Garden of Remembrance. <sighs> Never. I mean, the Garden of Remembrance? You can imagine the, uh, the consternation that the rest of the congregation would have. And I said to this lady, listen, lady, you obviously don't know me because there's no way that that's going to happen. I can't dishonor the memory of those people by shoving a dog in the Garden of Remembrance, scattering its ashes there. And she said, well, I'm sorry to hear that, Reverend Bosch, because I was willing to donate 50,000 rand, that's 5,000 Australian dollars, to your church. I said, Mrs. Smith, to be fair, you didn't tell me it was a Methodist dog. <laughs> I'm kidding, it didn't really happen. <laughs> it's just a good story. It did happen, <laughs> just to be clear. But God does take care of our needs in some of the most spectacular ways. Do not worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll wear. 
Look at how your heavenly Father cares for the grass and for the birds. How much more will he not care for you? And as we read that passage, it's easy to say, well, of course, Jesus was God. He could say that quite easily. But have you ever noticed that he actually didn't just say it, but he lived it? We have all these stories of Jesus' life. We never once hear where Jesus slept. We hear very little about where he ate. We hear nothing about where he got his clothes from or his travel money or anything like that. There's never a feature of the story around those aspects at all. It is simply taken that this is a matter of trust. Jesus says, do not worry about these things. I often think that this is the most often broken commandment in our time. Jesus isn't suggesting that we should be irresponsible. In fact, all he ever asks is that we give a gift of 10%, which is, in my way of thinking, uh, I would rather say more like Jesus looking at us and saying, why don't you keep 90% of everything I give you? Everything I give you, why don't you keep 90% of that? And I know that getting to that level of kind of proportional giving may be difficult, but I do think it's something that we should work towards. Not because we have to, not because church doors are closing or lights are going off, but because we love God and because we trust Him. And we know that where our treasure lies, there our heart lies also. It doesn't even, not even the best of what the world could offer would compare with what with what Christ offers us in this moment. When he says, trust me in this. Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you who won't trust. I had a dream once as a, as a young person going into ministry. And I don't remember what emotions led to this, but I do remember the dream. Um, and what had happened in the dream was, it, it, judgment day had happened, or the end of the world, whatever you want to call it. And Christ had come back and he had taken all the people to be with him and there was nobody left on the earth but Jesus and me. And we were walking along the street together and talking. And it was just this most amazing sense of being with Jesus. And as we walked past a, we walked past a, a, a really fancy shop, beautiful stereo equipment and everything in it. And Jesus would say to me, hey, you can have all of that stuff. Have a look. There's nobody around. Have it all, or you can carry on walking with me. And we walked a little further, and he said, you can have the luxury car, or you can carry on walking with me. They're, they're open. The keys are in them. We walked past a yacht, and he said, you can have the yacht. Go sailing on it all by yourself or you can stay walking with me. And I remember waking up thinking that taking any of those things would be the most ridiculous, unthinkable scenario, the most stupid of choices, that what the best that the world could offer wouldn't even compare with being in the presence of Christ. It may have just been a dream, but I've never actually forgotten the lesson. And the insignificance of the things of the world in comparison to the beauty of the things of Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added to you as well. Our act of giving 
is a challenge to trust God more. Look at Elijah. The birds bring him bread and meat. The birds. Trust God more. Which brings me to the last point in the challenge in, in giving, and that is that by giving faithfully, we are becoming more and more the people God created us to be. I enjoy tremendously seeing the natural generosity of people. Have you ever noticed that? People are actually naturally generous. You think of a time of crisis where people band together, like what's just happened up at the floods up north. People come together, they help, they care, they give their time, they give their possessions, they give money, they are kind to one another. From the stories that I've heard, I know the same happened here when the floods hit here in uh, 2013 and 2011. The kindness flows to the victims. And it's the same all over the world, really. We, we are naturally generous people. We are people who want to be kind, who want to have compassionate hearts. And I'll tell you something, that Australians have this by the bucket load. By the bucket load. That's why when somebody in one of these tragedies comes across an open shop or home and does some looting, there is absolute madness and... Uh, and, and people are really cross about that because we know it goes against who we are as people. Mateship and neighbors helping each other and all of that sort of stuff. Because we are made in God's image. And God is a generous God. That's who we are. We had only just arrived here after Cyclone Debbie. And um, we actually got delayed because of Cyclone Debbie. We had to wait a day to get here. So when we arrived, although the lawn had been mowed the previous week, because of the amount of rain that had fallen on Cyclone Debbie, the, the grass was in need of another mow. And um, it, it really was. So on the second day that we were here, second day, uh, I went and bought a lawn mower. It was the very first thing I ever bought when I came to Australia was a mower. And I took it home, put it in the garage. I hadn't even unfolded the handle. And shortly after I'd put it away, the neighbor on the side of us came to introduce himself and his wife and to say good day and to, and to get, us know, get to know us. And the first thing he did as we stood there in the garden chatting was he offered to mow the lawn for me with his ride-on mower. And in one of those moments that prove men will never understand women, my dear beloved wife, whose name is also Debbie, aptly at the time, who has never mowed a lawn in her life, said to this kind neighbor, no thank you, Stuart is looking forward to using his new mower. I wasn't looking forward to using the new mower. I very much would have liked him to mow my lawn, but her statement left me no way to correct the situation, no way to take up his generous offer. And, you know, the point is that were it not for this jet lag, tiredness-infused moment of madness from my own Cyclone Debbie standing next to me, he would have done it without knowing if we were even going to get on as friends. That amazed me the most. It was an offer to mow your lawn. I don't even know if I like you. But I'll just do this for you. The naturally generous people. And we are naturally generous because we are created in God's image. A God who is, does exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. And when we give, 
We are becoming more like the nature of God, more like Jesus Christ. We are becoming the people God created us to be. To give when we can see the cause is a wonderful thing, but to give to God whom we cannot see and whom we trust will use our generosity and transcend the bounds of this world and build his kingdom, that is a powerful thing. That generosity transcends the lure of money. It transcends the selfishness. It defeats the world's greatest pull that it has on us. When we give generously to God, it is a beautiful thing because we are becoming more the person that he created us to be. Giving is part of the covenant. We say in the covenant prayer, I freely and wholeheartedly give all things to your pleasure and disposal. Willingly offering all I have and all I am to please you as and when you choose. It's a challenging part to be able to say. But it is a part that brings an amazing closeness to God because as we bless him in the grace of giving, it brings a sense of trust. As we place ourselves in his hands, it brings a sense of joy because we become the people who God created us to be. May God bless us in this challenge. May he bless us. May he bless the work of this church. And may we take what he says to us and, and see it for what it is, a challenge on, on how we live our lives in terms of greater faithfulness to him. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, you challenge us to live lives of faithfulness. And we pray and ask that as we hear your message, you may speak deep into this part of our life, which is always such a difficult issue to deal with. But we hear you this morning. We hear your challenge. We read your words. And we pray and ask that you would move us in terms of our own giving in faithfulness to you. In Jesus' name, amen.